Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition and exercise physiology professor, and I am a bodybuilder. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm former editor at Muscle Mega International, former competitive bodybuilder and uh, powerlifter, and I'm on my uh, second week of contest prep for my meet in October. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I'm the founder of LiftForHope.org, StrengthGuild.com, and, um, oh gosh, competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and I'm on my first week of my first diet in about a decade. Yeah, how's that treating you? Not bad. I feel good. I feel good. I'm down about five pounds. <laughs> we're, we're here with Jim Heeren, who, uh, he's a gym owner from, you know, I, what I would call old school days. He's got a lot of sort of, uh, cred in that respect. Uh, and we're going to talk to Jim a little bit today about uh, the industry, things that come and go um, in the gym business. And then uh, our topic today is going to be actually social networking and how we can take advantage of that as trainers and, and you know, people of that regard. But uh, anyway, so I didn't mean to cut you off there, Phil. I just want to introduce uh, Jim real quick. Uh, and then I actually want to touch with you a little bit about, about your diet. So anyway, just stay high, Jim, if you can. We'll, Go ahead. We'll get back to Barwalk Fitness and Tanning Award, known in Minnesota. Right on. Why is it that so many people who own gyms are named Jim? You know, that's a good question. I grew up at a gym called Jim's Gym. There yeah. was a study I just saw recently in the last month where they have proven given names have a tendency to go into the field. That's something that would have been a joke. They looked into it. It's true. Dennis goes into dentists. Jim's going to gyms. It was inadvertent. I've been in it now 20 years. It's been a joke because of the associations easy to make. They do have studies that show. Now, my parents never really big into fitness, so it wasn't planned. It just, it yeah. happened. So this makes me wonder if Fortress isn't going to become like a construction worker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. I should be pumping gas or something. Then. Yeah, Phil. I Farmer Phil. Uh, anyway. nice. Listeners, if we seem uh, disoriented a little bit today, it's because we're actually filming this for YouTube at the same time that we're doing uh, the recording. Uh, but anyway, Phil, tell us about your diet then. I mean, if you're losing weight, how, how are you doing with that, like, uh, psychologically? Oh, not bad. Not bad, really. I'm, I actually feel pretty good. It's been nice to... Uh not cram stuff in my mouth. Um, my dog's taking it the hardest. She looked at me like I was insane at six o'clock the other morning, Monday morning, when I woke her for her first walk. Um, she's like, "What? What are we doing? We don't do this." <laughs> right. But so I'm starting out really conservative. You know, I've been doing like no cardio, so it's just this first week I'm going for like a 20 minute walk every morning, and just cleaned up the diet a bunch. So it, it's going good. I mean, the gym, uh, I'm going in real short, hitting it hard, and getting out. Because I know I won't have the energy for my usual like hour and a half long workouts, but uh, so far it's going good. You know? so the plan though is to stay heavy while you cut the calories, though. Yeah, yeah. So part, pretty, you're not going to start like a pump and primp type routine, are you? No, no. I'm going to try and keep as strong as I can. So I, I 
I, I tend lend more towards the uh, drop the volume, keep the load up type of thing when yeah. when I'm when I'm dieting down because I, I want to stay as strong as I can. And I mean, I don't know. I, I part of me really believes that if you if you want to hang on to muscle, you know, not much will do more than that than than keep it at heavy. You know, your body's like, okay, he's going to consistently lift heavy things. I need to be big and strong. Absolutely. Yeah, that so. was always my strategy. Fortress, when you <sighs> for a show, you kept it heavy, didn't you? You didn't do a pump. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was just about to add, um, obviously some con- some concessions have to be made, and a little bit of self, um, you know, uh, common sense has to prevail at some point. I mean, if you're, you know, in the last couple of weeks before a comp- you know, bodybuilding competition, you're at that kind of, you know, um, thin line danger zone then you have to kind of back off a little bit but a hundred percent i agree with the whole concept of a stay as heavy as you can for as long as you can again bearing in mind you know just how precarious you are at any given moment i mean my last bodybuilding competitions i think my last leg workout i did i think i was still squatting four or five for five or six i was just going to say that i did the same thing right up a week before i got on stage i had 405 on the bar for like half a dozen reps yeah like i i, I just kind of psychologically died i didn't want to stand on stand on stage Knowing that I, you know, hadn't squatted for two or three months, I, I just—that's not acceptable to me. So, so our guest has been patient. So we're with Jim Herein again. Jim owns uh, Boardwalk Fitness and Tanning here in a little college town where I teach, uh, Winona, Minnesota, uh, and it's—it's it's a really my kind of gym. I was so lucky when I walked around town. The first thing I did was look for a gym, and this is the place where I'm like, okay, that's for me. Uh, you know, so anyway, so Jim, if you can, I'm just going to hand you the mic, and you could tell us about your origins, right, in the in the gym industry and in lifting in general and all that kind of thing. When I got interested, about 1985, 1986, it was right when Nautilus was going to come in and overtake free weights, and I fell for this. Uh, I developed a passion for it right away. Uh, came to Winona in 1989 to finish school. Uh, managed a tanning business in uh, 1990, bought it right away. I uh, had to change a location, had a large space, too much space, uh, growing tanning business, uh, job on the side as a counselor. My bachelor's degree was in psychology. And we had a fire that wiped us out. We came back, the insurance was good to us, and uh, kind of followed through with the uh, top three things that I wanted to do with this extra space when the time was right was put a gym in. The first thing was GNC. We were actually looking at GNC or some combination. And uh, then we had the fire, uh, came back from that, and uh, slowly built a gym and took off. And here's why. Wait, when you say GNC, you mean you were going to open a GNC yourself? Actually, uh, I was flying out to Pittsburgh, uh about the week of our fire, I was on my other job. I was house managing halfway houses on the weekends. Got a call in the middle of the night that we had a fire. I thought I dreamed it. Came, it was real. And the GNC guys uh, found our town demographically and went in and put a corporate GNC in the mall. So that made the decision easy. I found a few guys that were interested uh, over at a place that's closed now called St. Keys. I found a guy that was interested in, uh, one guy that was studying nutrition, one guy that uh, wanted to build gyms and had connections, and uh, a third guy that was a trainer. And I said, you know, you guys obviously are young, getting out of college. How would you like to be a part of starting a gym? Right. We got together, we made it happen. Then I went and pulled the first manager out of GNC over here. <laughs> he became our first manager. Right. And we built a bit of a nutrition business along the way. So what year was that then? 
That old. was started in 1996. Okay. So what about you personally? Like, why do you like to lift? Maybe just tell listeners a little bit about your, uh, you know, your accomplishments or what you've done with whether it's powerlifting, bodybuilding. You know, obviously there's something that drew you into the gym business, right? You know, it's amazing that I ended up in this business because as soon as I, I, I suffered from the skinny guy thing in high school. I was athletic, but I wasn't big enough. I played baseball, afraid to go in the weight room. So as soon as high school ended that summer, I was in the gym, first Nautilus. Then I figured out free weights worked better than Nautilus. Um, if you would have asked me about, you know, this would have gone down this way, it would have been my dream. I, it just happened by circumstance. Um, my passion for lifting, for example, jobs I had in the cities as a security guard, uh, I was so passionate about it, I was trying to find ways to bring my bench press to work because there were a lot of hours not doing it. So I was always thinking about it. I was, you know, if I was on the trip, I was doing push-ups if I was going somewhere. I had a real love for it. When, it, when the light came on that we had too much space and nothing to do with it, 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 it was just automatic. Uh, and we have been through everything in the last, what, 15 years? Uh, the economic, all the, uh, the new 24-hour gyms coming through, uh, economic circumstances, good times, bad times, times where we should stand. At the end of the day, it's been the love. of. The, I fell in love with the business as long, and the weightlifting. Like I hear you guys talking about, I have changed a little. I was a power lifter up to five years ago. I have a torn bicep, torn knee ligaments, and I have kind of switched over to the cardio. I'll give it back to you, Ronnie. <laughs> so what do you think about the trends? Like we had, When we had Pep Wall on, gosh, we had him on probably a year and a half ago now, uh, yeah. a hardcore Akron gym. He was talking about how he felt like um, – Niche markets were, you know, where the gym industry might be going away from the like mega conglomerate kind of things, right? So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think gyms like this one uh, fill a niche that maybe people don't get in like a big, you know, chrome and plastic fitness center? I think it comes back. I think it really does. We, we've seen this trend of the condensed, uh, oh, what are some of the big national, uh, I'm not going to think of them offhand, but the big 24 hours that got condensed down and they're showing up in every town, two of them, um, I think there's a limit to that. And now we have three. People say, become a 24-hour place. I'm not going to be a follower. I've been the one that's been here. We've seen three, four, five gyms come and go in the time that we've been here. Uh, we remodeled last year and in the downtrend, and... Um, and my, my, my love for it, I, I got a little bit uh, uh, disenfranchised, I think, for a while. Every time somebody went out, two people would come in. And it was like this constant battle, and the bad economy, and the this and that. But what I have found is whenever that's happened, my passion does come back. I, I realize when the falls to the wall, my passion for this, my love for this business comes back and I pour it on. I usually have to be pushed to the wall. You know, things look really bad and you really have to do things right. to keep up with the times. Uh, we were strictly a power gym with chalk, not such great equipment, hardly any cardio equipment. We started out with treadmills from Kmart type thing and some free weights, heavy metal, 
but we had no competition, and the students loved us, and it was a popularity thing. First four years made a lot of money, reinvested back in the business, you know, locker rooms, all the things you should do, and all of a sudden, other high-class, you know, structures for lawyers and doctor-type gyms came in, uh, and then you have franchise gyms coming in with their franchise marketing, better sales than us, our local level staff here. Uh, every trend, you know, has come. They haven't all gone yet. Sometimes it's a waiting process. But I think the love of the business over time, it, it's, it's like a marriage you want to stay with. I mean, I'm 21 years in business here. I always say I'm not going down to these guys. We had one business that almost put us out, moved half a block away. A summer I was gone. Young guy came in here with a trust fund for fifty thousand dollars and put a business half a block away. When I came back, a fitness business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't mention the name, but it was half a block away. That should have put us out. At some point, I realized it came too easy for him. You know, uh, he has. At some point, when I saw some signs going out of the yellow pages, things like that, I I made a prediction: three and a half years. That's about when you realize business isn't all fun, game, you know, all the things you dream about. It's right. I think that's a good point because I think a lot of people, they get into business, and it's not just in the fitness industry, but they do it because they love it, but they don't look at it like a business that's going to go up and down, and there's going to be an element of chore to it a little bit, you know, or at least nine to five in it, you know, or more. It's given, it's given me moments where I've actually hated the working out in the fitness because you are so overly exposed to it. You are dealing with it as well. So... That occurred to me. First four years, it was a dream come true. I'm in a place, finally, where I can be on duty and lift weights all day. And I got teased for it a lot. I had I worked out with different partners. The group would leave. Three hours later, guys would come in, and I would do whatever they were doing. Uh, as you know, that will take a toll on your body after a few years. Uh, learning to run the business, the maintenance of a, a gym business, uh, keeping it up, going through equipment. Um, how fast trends change, products change. I mean, we talked about that. Is ornithine, arginine, to EHEA, to andro, to creatine, to ZMA, to NO2, to epidrine. That brings up a good point. So how much how much of your business, does it ever fluctuate? Like maybe there's more you get into the dietary supplement sales and then other times you're just purely lifting? Or does it? what's a percentage there of, you know, one sales versus just service gym lifting sales? Early on, the nutrition business was great. Uh, and we pushed it. It slowly faded as the internet took over and people could get from the same source we were getting it from. Uh, we were enthused. We made our own drinks until the state of Minnesota came in and qualified that as being a restaurant. So our best seller to date are the drinks, the cool drinks on hand that we have, energy, protein drinks, that kind of thing. Uh, as you can see, our shelves have gotten down to being bare simply because a year and a half ago we decided to allocate everything we had to really new carpet, the mirrors, uh, retiling, repainting, uh, and then slowly build back up, show these new 24-hour places that aren't so new anymore, we're not leaving. You know, that was our statement. But we had to sacrifice some things like shirts, like nutrition, which wasn't a good margin business anyways. You get stuck with a lot of product. It's more, we even had the magazines, but we could do that. They never sold. People grabbed them off and had them while they're here. You know, I right. think we sold one in four years. <laughs> uh, 
it amazes me how fast trends come and go. I mean, it could be me getting older, but there's only so many ways to move the body and, and make it work. So it's, it's interesting that because this is a small college town, you, you've still got a YMCA, you've got the 24-hour places to deal with, you know what I mean? There's and the school gym. And not to mention the university just built you know, right a big rec center. Wow, and yet, you know, like you said here, you stay. Right. Now, Phil, do you, are you um, very rural where you're at right now? Uh, I, I don't want to automatically assume that you're in some, you know. Comp- no, we got 150,000 people here. What's the gym scene like there? Are, are there, even in sort of, uh, in the Midwest there's, in general, do you see stuff like where there's every community's got a YMCA or there's a university rec center? Yeah, there's 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 a YMCA here, a YWCA, and then we've got three of your, oh, like 24-hour type fitness type places. Like, like strip mall type things? Yeah, you know, the large, you know, the big commercial gyms. We got three oh, of those. Oh, right, okay, yeah. we're 27,000. We got two, and then a guy spun one off out of here. That's not—it's more of an MMA thing. But uh, YMCA, we watched our YWCA close. Uh, yeah. Just came here. A place called Body Quest came and went three and a half years. Uh, Sylvester was the name of the one nearby. St. Teresa's was the one I earlier talked about. So that's four that come right to mind that we've seen come and go. And I always keep that in mind. What do you think they didn't? I mean, what do you do that they don't do, except that you're sort of a single proprietorship and, you know, you can fit that niche, or maybe you're more nimble than they are, you know, their corporate changes tells them they have to, they have to close shop, or what did they not do? Why did they fail, do you think? Lack of passion. Lack of passion and love for the business. In two cases, it was a literal trust fund situation where an uncle gave the body quest guy $250,000 only if you would start a business, take the gym business. Uh, heart's not into it. might be for a year or two until you find out, only, you know, there's a lot to do in, in being in business. So the sheer passion, we bought, we built this uh, piece by piece. There's heart and soul in almost every piece of equipment in here. And it took the whole what? Even to this day, just 15 years later, you're still going piece by piece? Yes, yes. And replacing and trying to make better. And even if it doesn't turn out in the numbers right away, it goes back to my love of this game. And, and <coughs> walking in here and looking around going, you know what, I'm proud of this place, I love it. There have been points I couldn't say it. Three years ago, I was distraught. I, you know, saw one guy leave, that guy down the street, and two guys came in. Uh, and people flocked to their new place. What I thought was you stay in long enough, it's a good thing. New places... You can only be new once, you know. So it occurred to me we had to take everything we had out of that bad economy and come in and really shine the place up as they're getting six, seven years old to that point when the carpet's getting a little bad. We'll have the new features, same price. I mean, we're half, third of the price. So in one sense, when you have a club-like environment, and that's not just what this is, I get that. Right. But when when you don't have the deep pockets to compete with, let's say, a YMCA or a giant university, then... There's a certain, there's still a certain standard of cleanliness and like the carpet and everything like right. that, right? So you don't want to go pure dungeon. Right, right. And we came out of that because we thought we could do anything and we could for a while and get away with it. But it turned out, uh, there were standards set and we had to rise up to them. We had to cut out the heavy metal a little bit, try to cut down the chalk and the mess and the. And yet there's still some of that here. There is, there, there's some of it here. 
12 years ago, as a younger guy, I said, I'll never sell out. Well, I realized if I didn't sell out a little bit, I was going to sell out as these places came and went. And the other thing was being conservative, paying things off, trying to pay things in cash. That was being naive all the way back to 1990 when I was 25 and first got in the business and couldn't get a bank loan, so paid a contract for deed. So I didn't create a lot of debt, never did. If we couldn't afford it, we didn't buy it. We bought things during good times and, uh, you know, and then paid off the mortgages and all that. That sounds like actually good advice. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not the way things are done. And I'm aware they are probably debt burdened. And, and uh, if we were going to stay in it, and I kind of saw this economy swing three or four years ago, uh, getting worse while competition's coming in, it's going to be a dogfight. This town's not big enough. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we've had people on the on the podcast before. I remember Brian Moss, he was essentially saying that the bodybuilding type gym is, is dead and gone. And yet, I don't know, we've had several people on from Pep to you. I mean, I mean people who are demonstrating that you do modify a little over time and, and whatnot, but you don't have to sell out either. You know, and what, some of what he was saying was, you know, it's completely inviable. You know, not viable to have a, a lifting only kind of gym and things like that. But I, I think it probably is as long as you keep this, the scale in mind, right? You, you don't try to run with the, the gold's gym or something that has kind of sold out in a lot of ways, you know. I know the equipment. If I walk into a place, like you said, and like Nick has said when you walk in right down there, uh, a few years ago, what are we lacking? What are the few things they have? Okay, the lifting. We didn't get those yet. We did upgrade treadmills. We did uh, uh, get some good buyouts with equipment uh, that was only two years old, but high top of the line stuff. We bought competition bench presses, squat racks. So we made sure, for sure, we were the best in the freeway, had the best freeways, and dumbbells that go up to on and all that. And yet, the front of the shop, as you can see, is all cardio. And yeah. then you have machines and so you can walk in here, and if you're a fitness person, man or woman, you'll appreciate that every body part's covered two or three times over. Every type of cardio equipment is in here, and we don't need to charge a lot to get by because of the debt strength. Now, Rob, you lifted, you've lifted in gyms that are pretty commercial and glitzy and incredibly dungeon-like, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so... Do you think you can mix that kind of stuff? I mean, uh... well, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> you know my my experiences here in Canada are, are um, kind of twofold because you were talking earlier about you know uh, understanding that it is a business, um, but on the other side um, point, you were saying that um, you know you have to have a passion for what it is that you're doing, and I think those things apply. But the ones that here, certainly in the Toronto area up here, you know, it's it's almost like nightclubs up here you know they come and they go and the ones that don't seem to stick around are the ones who are um it's like the music industry it, it's it they're not being owned by people who are bodybuilders or or you know athletes of some description they're they're business people that just you know randomly okay we'll open a gym kind of a thing um i i kind of go back to what we, you know pep was saying about that whole thing i, I definitely think that um, the days of the kind of the, uh, you know, Gold's Gym mecha bodybuilding kind of thing are kind of over because, I, in fact, I think I think the Gold's Gym in, in Venice, California, I think, is actually now um, leaving that location and it's not going to be there anymore. Well, um, you, and, you and I both know when we went out there sort of, I remember the guy I was with, he said, welcome to Ground Zero, Lonnie. And, you know, this was yeah. 
in the early 90s. And, I mean, it was nothing like what well, I... Well, yeah, had. I mean, like, I, I don't know what the presence is down there, but certainly, like, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, the, the um, you know, the peak years of, you know, Flux Magazine and, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s, bodybuilding and so forth, you had Powerhouse Gym and World Gym and gold's gym and i mean i don't again i can't speak for where you guys are but certainly up here those places are nowhere i mean you don't i i i don't know where there is a gold's gym or i mean powerhouse gym there's not you know any of these types of places right. um that's with you i mean and this may not be true and i mean if, if someone disagrees post on our facebook listeners page or something but to me it seems like they tried to do sort of maybe what jim wasn't willing to do which is you know, completely sell out in a lot of ways. I mean, like, I wouldn't be that surprised if you could walk into certain Gold's gyms now and actually get yelled at for clanging deadlifting, you know, plates off the floor. Apparently you're apparently you're not allowed to uh, deadlift at uh, Gold's Venice. Yeah. I, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true. But, I mean, and, and certainly I know certain franchise. it's certain Gold's franchises. I've, t- I've been told that they can't um, have dumbbells over 150 pounds, like, uh, at all. Um so yeah, I mean, and, and my whole thing is, I think you know, there's, it's almost like you know, there's the uh, the middle class is slowly deteriorating from society. I think I think in a lot of ways, it's almost kind of like that with gyms. You know, you get the up here, you have the big ones like you know, Extreme Fitness or 24 Hours, kind of you know, as you would long describe it, you know, the big classic Chrome places, and then you have the places that you know, like I go to, which are more you know, gyms versus health clubs, and that kind of middle of the road places that feed both of them. Um, a lot of those places, I, th- I think, suffer because they try to be too many things to too many people. Um, certainly, I, I understand from a, and I'm not a businessman, you know, but I, I, I understand you do have to have a certain amount of, you know, a variety to, uh, to attract well, a certain amount of business. Let's face it, if it becomes too filthy and too dungeon-like, uh, especially in a college town, you know what I mean, you run the risk of losing... Right. Losing a certain number of people, or you, you might even attract. I know Jim. You know, in fact, you can comment on this, but sort of some a holes in the past, right? I mean, oh, of course. But you know what? You also have to consider, and I, I've brought this up many times, but you know what? Weight training and bodybuilding was to young guys in the '80s. In a lot of ways, now is what mixed martial arts is to the young guys. You know, and. You know, you see a lot of those. Pla- I mean, certainly in Toronto, I think it's one of the biggest markets for MMA. You know, um, those gyms are everywhere. You know, they're almost as, as now as common as again bodybuilding gyms were in the '80s, um, or certainly gyms that now incorporate a lot of that. You know, because back in the '80s, you know, or, or you know, the, the guys that were in the gym were bodybuilding, they were weight training. You know, they were doing traditional stuff, and now you go into gyms, even the gym I go to, which is relatively hardcore and it, it's not just traditional you know weight training anymore it's you know guys are doing like you know shadows boxing and all sorts of weird crossfit type stuff and and okay. more often than not the young guys are doing this again for for you know a, a benefit to their mma training so um but yeah i belong to both types of gyms and they, they have their places but certainly um i think Again, the niche gyms, the one that are specific to something, I mean, they, they I think, have the best shot of lasting, um, certainly up in this market up here, I think. So, um, right, and like know, I said... Do you remember, I, I'm sure, you, you know, the couple of times we went to Rhino's Gym. I don't know if that's still there. No, it, it's it's long gone. In fact, the owner of that gym is in jail, but anyway. Oh, fantastic. Well, <laughs> that was all sort of an 80s-style gym. You know, that was a, 
that was a gym gym, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think that being in the greater Toronto area, you've got access to, I mean, a gym owner would have hundreds of thousands of people sort of in that demographic that they could, they could become more niche. Whereas maybe, you know, yes. so absolutely. Companies. And that, and that, I'm sorry, that, that's a, that's a great point. Yes. When you're, when you're dealing with a greater metropolitan area that has several million people and, yeah. you know, uh, you can be a little bit more specific because even, I mean, as long as again, you keep your kind of your, your sights on the realities of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like if you're opening a very niche gym that you have to accept the fact that, you know, you're probably not going to be the guy who's a millionaire because you know, you have, you know, 4,000 members or something like that. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. But whereas if you're in a smaller place, then yeah, you probably have to at some point consider the fact that you have to be a little bit more to more people. Um, so, which is, you know, I think kind of what Jim, Jim's saying. And, and by the way, I don't think when he was saying sell out, I mean, sell out is, is a really kind of funny word because I mean, it means different things to different people. And I mean, um, it, it, it sounds from what Jim, you're, from what you're saying, Jim, it sounds to me that, you know, it's, it's less selling out and more just a pride in having the best, you know, the best that you can provide, you know, for, for, for the people that you, you, you serve. So I, I don't consider that selling out. Um, you know, as long as you're staying true to what it is you are and your passion for what it is that you started, then I, I think, you know, it's all good. Right. I try to look at it as, for one thing, you do have to adapt a little bit. But um, it, what, what kind of perfect gym would I want in my garage? And then magnify that. And I think that's, that's a great question. I've heard people say that with other things. Although, you know, we were sort of warning against people doing something just because it's their hobby and they don't want to be serious about making it a business. Right. Like you said, I think it's always a good question, no matter what business, especially training, is what would I want? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I've always had this vision of the kind of gym that I might have one day. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted right. to have Barbarian Fridays right. and play Conan music on oh, the speakers. The dreams or, I know. had in the first few years would take all day to go through. But it came from my friends and I at the YW that was dominated by aerobics classes and all that. They pushed us in the corner, let us listen to their music at a low volume, which was horrible. And a vision of uh, the CDs we wanted, the heavy metal, the control of the volume, the and it flew because it was had never been seen in this town. It was no holds barred. You were free to do and be what you wanted, and the place was packed all the time. We started out just charging fifteen a month, and we did high volume with the tanning, of course, that helped, and the products. I mean, we had a three ring circus, and they all did well. Uh, how quickly things can change kind of, at times was devastating, actually. But always coming to the conclusion that three years ago when I walked in this gym, there, I was disheartened. I was like, I still love this place, but, but other people are seeing it differently. They're comparing us to every new gym that comes to town. And after a while, you just can't, you know. At some point, about a year and a half ago, I said, okay, if, whatever I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to leave it all on the field. So we're going to allocate everything I have, and we're going to paint, mirror. Uh, I don't know if you, when you first came here, if we were already done with everything. No. no. Make some more space, get rid of some equipment to open up space if people did want to do their cardio or, or PX90 or this. Uh, vary it up a little bit. Uh, we have, I think, uh, 4,000 square feet more or less, and... Uh, 
space it out a little bit. There were a lot of things that had been people to cry for. And then we did the ultimate uh, most difficult thing, the dominoes thing. We put out a suggestion box, and, and I sat and read through that. And that is not easy to do, especially when you are in a dominoes position two years ago where your quality is really being called into question. I think it's and you're be a low-rate gym. You know? Right, that's what I was going to say, with the low rate or like sort of the value kind of thing, like you said, high volume, lower cost, that kind of stuff, I think, if, if you're a if you're a niche gym, you could either go you could go either way, really. You could either go higher volume, lower cost, because then you undercut the university, the YMCA, everything else, people who want hundreds of dollars just in sign-up fees. And then, but then the flip side of that would be you could almost value market, you know, the way like Nike does its shoes. You know, they won't sell, you know, shoes generally for less than $40 or whatever it is. And you could almost take that specialty club kind of thing. I mean, that's what I wanted to ask you, Phil, because I know you've, you've looked at the idea of warehouse-type gyms, or, I mean, what are your thoughts on that kind of stuff before we go to break? I mean, what would... No, that's what would, the route I'm going right now um, with, with the place I'm, I'm doing. It's very much... But I'm in a, you guys are you guys have 27,000 people, right, in the town? What's surrounding is it? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a little harder there. I have 150 here. So, you know, what is that? That's five, six, seven, six times what you have. You know, I, I, I can afford to go with a niche market. And I don't need, I'm not even going to try to compete with the big clubs. I want the, I want the 50 people that are serious about training and that want coaching type of gym. Um, where they, where they get more hands on stuff. And that's, that's the way, that's the way I'm going. Is that route? Phil, um, with you, with you almost having a coaching club, do you see a, a increased risk for burnout? Like, if you're expected to be there 12 hours a day and you're going to be hands on with guy after guy and <laughs> gal who comes in the door, do you think there, there's an increased risk of burnout with that? That's where I'm lucky, and I have a wonderful wife that is a great coach that that, that coached under me, and she loves it too. <laughs> oh, that's so, um, and you know, no, the way I'm going is set number of classes a day. And then, uh, you know, during the middle of the day, open gym type stuff to where you're allowed to come in, do what you want, but there's these set classes during the day oh, that's, yeah, where you'll that's get hands-on type coaching um, is the way we're running it. And um, I mean, from what I've seen, it works great. Um, and from the other people that I know that run these type of facilities. Um, and then, you know, if you get 100 people, you're doing okay. Um, you're, you're doing pretty good. And, um, you know, what, what I'm going to do is run, you know, here's, here's powerlifting at this time, these days a week. Here's Olympic lifting this time, these days a week. Here, here's this type of thing. Um, and then also you get some one-on-one type stuff. Um, if, if you have a person that's a, an athlete in this sport and wants personal help, you, you got that going Bill, on. actually, that sounds, so, that sounds a little bit like what I've seen some, uh, like, martial arts schools do where they'll yeah. have classes every evening or something, but then the instructor sometimes does one-on-one Exactly. You know, with people who are basically want to pay a little bit extra. Yeah. And I'm taking very much the, um, you know, I was I was getting ready to pull the trigger on like a, a 5,000 square foot facility, and that was just a bit scary. So we're going we're going more lower end this time, and we're going to grow as the uh, as the clientele demands it type of thing. And I think the old entrepreneurial uh, spirit uh, in the last five. Seven years, it occurred to me, I'm not going to get rich doing this, but I'm going to love it. Yeah. And that's that's success to me. Uh, if yeah. I'm paying my bills, you know, uh, paying things off, finding some other sources of income, uh, the love of this will, if I 
if I if we stayed at this level until I'm 65 or 70, maybe bump it up a little. I'm expecting that, but uh, I will be a proud person who have been in this business and watched people's lives change for the better. Uh, the other thing, you know, when I was young, me and my friends were going to own a bar, you know, bartenders in our party days. I am a very lucky man that I inadvertently ended up away from those friends, down here on my own, in this business. Uh, just in the last year, you've seen some of our success stories. Somebody beat early type 2 diabetes. That's been an issue in here. Uh, some serious health problems kind of turned around and uh, I wasn't focused on that when I first got in here. It was all powerlifting. But people have come and said, I've got the doctor says I have to work out what I do. I get with them. And, and I've become passionate about that. I think, you know what, I think that's the kind of thing where more and more with all the – every hospital and university seems to be creating this – like I heard Mayo is going to build some two new floors on their, some of their existing facilities. So mm-hmm. all this wellness prevention stuff. But I'm, I'm – and I know that our listeners agree with this, but if you get somebody who's good at coaching somebody on like bodybuilding, powerlifting lifestyle, that's exercises medicine, just like you might see in, in something that sounds a little more clinical in a way, you know. It gives you a new reason to live. You get a diagnosis. Mike's our best example last summer. Uh, he was a drinker. He's uh, going through divorce. Came to us kind of in bad shape, overweight, 252, type 2 diabetes. He's now 185 pounds, feeling good, out of the depression he was in. I was doing two-a-days in here uh, and has stuck with it. I've seen a few of those in the last years. That's become an epidemic. And um, it, it get, not only does it heal the disease or help it, make it better, it gives you a reason to live, something to look forward to. Once you get a passion for exercise, which feeds itself, energy breeds energy, positive energy, uh, I know it changed my life. It was my escape as a young person to get away from those partying friends. And okay, I've had enough. Party. And I'd go to the gym for a week or two and do the thing. Then I'd revive myself. Now, getting out of that pattern was nice when this became complete, completely in my life. The business can drain you. You were talking about, uh, I think, burnout or whatever, trying to train too many people and be here and be all things, be a big accountant, be there. I mean, running all, you know, the marketing and all that. Uh, that can, we're at a time of season. The students are coming back. I have to be here. I have to be there. I've got to, you know, you know what I'm doing. And uh, it can overwhelm at times. Uh, at a younger, 20 years ago, I couldn't really deal with it. I didn't sleep well. I didn't. Now, when I leave this place, it rolls off my back. That's my time. I recharge. I've learned to do that. Um, right. Well, okay, I'll tell you what, um, Jim just mentioned marketing, so after the break, we're going to take a break here for some um, some public messages. When we get back, we're going to talk about one of those duties, which is sort of marketing and how that's done with social networking now. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, 
Uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, welcome back, listeners. This is uh, Lonnie Lowry. We're with, here with Jim Kieran, who is a, a gym owner of the kind of gym where uh, we like to train. Uh, but what we're talking about now is one of the aspects that a gym owner has, which is marketing. And we haven't done this a lot in the past. We've had a couple of people come on the, of the show, John Berardi and Alan Cosgrove, and people talk about marketing. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about social marketing right now. And the, one of the first questions I want to ask here is, what are the top four or five social networking types of sites uh, or things that people can engage in if they're a trainer, a gym owner? And, you know, how do they link them and, and that kind of thing? Well, obviously the first one's Facebook. Uh, the, the big three, I've seen a pie chart that uh, 75% is Google, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, now, having felt like I was... I, I had set up a MySpace page in 07 and didn't even know how to log into it. Last year, I was fiddling with some things. Uh, as you know, to supplement, I took over my own investing about four years ago, which inadvertently taught me about these companies. Uh, not only that, but how important, how big it was getting. And, and my roommate, uh, or my renter last year in March, I believe, or April, said, you're not basically good. I kept hearing about it. My customers, I'll put it on my Facebook page, this and that. And then it clicked that I was, as soon as I created one, I realized I was missing out. Uh, didn't think I would do Twitter, but then one day I, I did uh, talk to a friend that was more computer savvy, and he says, I, I like YouTube. I'm like, yeah, but you can't be on YouTube. Went and started a YouTube site. That's the one I'm probably the most addicted to, being that this is kind of a very visual thing. The connecting part, I think, is the key, like you said. Uh, then people, uh, they begin to think you're nuts because you're doing so much of it and they don't know why. As individuals, they don't know why you're creating all these sites. Yet. Well, it's come from educating myself on... So people, so trainers or people with a business, they should probably think about creating multiple YouTube sites, multiple Facebook accounts? It does require time, but I think you... Uh, first of all, you test what works. Okay, which type of site? This site's not that successful, okay? Either go on to another one, leave that one, come back to it, link them, or get rid of it. So far, rarely have I gotten rid of a site. Uh, linking them together, making sure not the wrong ones are linked, because you have different uh, levels of, you know, YouTube's public, so you get all kinds of crap that you don't want going through your Facebook and uh and vice versa, the trolls. So do you think people should turn off the automatic connectors? Like, one of the things that I noticed, for example, when I finally started a YouTube page just for the Iron Radio podcast, really, is, I, A, I don't spend enough time on that. And I, I know, Rob, you're a big YouTube guy, but it, 
it was automatically, every time I, I said I liked a video or something, it was showing up like on yeah. my personal Facebook page, right? So do, would you suggest turning off some of that automation or, or uh, and doing it yourself sort of like, you know, when you like something or just let the automatic stuff do it? Well, first of all, you want to go in and find out what's connected. If you did it, you did it yourself accidentally or it's something they promote or something you put. I have had occasions where I've realized, oh, no, I don't want that one running through that one. Um, it depends. You have to know which ones are connected, though. The only one I don't care that much about and let everything run through to pull the mass volumes out of is MySpace. And the content in there is so noisy that nobody's really paying attention anymore. So uh, all, my, all the sites have different levels of quality. Some are a little more PG than G, but... Being aware of that, knowing what I don't want crossing, I do go in with the intent to have certain ones connected. Uh, sure, I recommend it because you can kill three or four birds with one stone. I tweet here, it goes there, it goes there, it goes there, or I Facebook and it goes here and there. But it always depends on the topic because I do write about a number of things, sports, stocks, all these things. People, oh, why all that? I was going to do with the fitness business. You're going after every other big thing, localizing versus being a national or having many gyms in a big city. We're in a little town. Okay, how do you localize YouTube and Twitter? Okay, pushing on to find out. Okay, I can use lists where I list people and find out who the local people are. Create a list on Twitter called Winona, Minnesota, Winona State on six sites so they're not all Winona. You have 20 lists, but on each one, kind of spray them out. Even reverse it, Minnesota, Winona. So when I got on Twitter, we were Wilson, Minnesota. We weren't on the map on Twitter. I put us there. Wow. <laughs> um, but, but, but this stuff takes a lot of hours and a lot of mistakes and a lot of, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And I've learned recently that the more you learn, not being a computer programmer, maybe more of a marketer, the more you find out you have to learn that you are so far, it's another four-year degree, and yeah. So although it's free, right, to do these kinds of things, kind of traditional marketing, like put an ad in the paper, a spot on the radio, something like that, you pay for it in elbow grease, like in your own time investment, right? I wanted to put a year into building as big and as far as I can organically. They kept throwing me coupons and they told me about from Google and all that. They finally gave up a few months ago and said, you're almost there, as they saw me building my own templates and really pushing to create my own stuff organically. Uh, my dad moved down to Florida. He was in real estate, not tech savvy. always wants to pay people to do these things for him and told me what he paid for quick, you know, for the real estate. I said 40000 something like that. Uh, I want to go as far as I can until I start hitting the walls where they said, okay, you got to buy this domain, buy these tools, and you can take it as far as you can. Right. No, I, I, I totally get the whole connecting thing because honestly, the only reason I've done anything with YouTube or Twitter at all is because like when I set up the the podcast through uh, FeedBurner, you know, which is right, Google related, right, 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 to sort of send the RSS feed out, it, it said, would you want to automatically tweet this every right. time there's a new Iron Radio episode? And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. And that, that kind of automation is just solid gold because I, I don't have to go do that. Although I did hear that recently that connection between um, feed burner and Twitter is down for a while or something, but but in general that's a really good thing, right? Because it'll automatically tweet 
every time that we get back on the air. Yeah, and these things are popping up every day. Every day I go on, there are new tools, new. The big thing now is creating your own social network. Uh, I think Ning was the first company in 07. Wait, what's the name of that? Ning. Ning? There's a handful of them, and they're popping up. And Google's getting into it, where they will, you know... I think Google's a little more user-friendly and wants somebody to build a social network. Facebook, of course, is interested in competition. Um, not that they'll get it. They're more of a utility now. But um, man hours, yeah, it really comes down to that. And and people that, from the outside see it as an obsession. And to some degree it is, but it has to be to a certain point. The more I got into it, the more I was studying the market, the more I realized this it's not about it going away or being a paradigm shift. It's what newspaper, TV, it's all going to your smartphone and your computer and how far do you want to be ahead of it. And I looked at it as a challenge that I didn't see any time in SNAP or the favorite 24-hour places that are in every town really utilizing it. I saw them spending on an overpriced radio station, 15 bucks an ad. So I, I looked at it as every hour I was putting in, I didn't have to be paid. The more connections I made, uh, there's a fine line though. Know where you are. If you're on Facebook, it's a social. You, you know, there's percentages of actual marketing you should do. Uh, Twitter, people are, are looking to push products and stuff. But if you're an interesting and an expert in your area and a good writer, that does draw attention and followers. And then the affiliate markers want to get with you because you, you know, you have something to say. So where would people want to go? Like, I know you let me that one book, Six Pixels of Separation. Mm -hmm. Who wrote that? And, you know, is that is that a good place for someone to start to read about this kind of stuff? I, I got a big kick out of the book, and it has me buying more books, actually. And his name is, what is his name? I just had the talking to earlier. I follow him. He doesn't follow me back. On my on my late, last Twitter site, The Loop, <laughs> Using his idea, which is uh, viral expansion loops, which is uh, we, we've seen what Web 2.0 is. Everybody's trying to get, guess what Web 2.1 or Web 3.0 is. And I do believe uh, Web 1.0 was Amazon marketing to you. Web 2.0 is interaction. Your customers can take over your product. My guess is Web 3.0 is actually with the capability of building your own social network sites. You become the product. So... Uh, being futuristic, and that's what the loop is, I saw this guy had real vision, uh, and maybe even two in some of it, and, and I wanted to find more books like that that were not behind the curve. I had an 07 book that just you know, talked about being on the sense. I want to know what's next and be out in front of it. Uh, so, so what is there anything out there like a social networking type of site, like you mentioned Ning or... Is there like Google Plus is still fairly new, and I always like Google Plus kind of thing because you can actually have not just friends circles, but you can have a broader circle for acquaintances. Mm -hmm. You know, and like we were joking before we got on on air about how I'm not a friends whore. You know, so mm -hmm. that lets me put people in an acquaintance group, mm -hmm. and then every time I post something, it doesn't have to go. It can go to a lot of the people who are like. You know, people I know through the podcast and stuff, but they're not like right. family members. So they have like a family circle of acquaintances, friends, right? So, I mean. Well, like we've talked about, as far as that, I love the word friend horn. Your background, your knowledge, you, a doctorate, a bodybuilder on a national level, shouldn't be a friend horn. Like we talked about, there are brokers, we, that was a good word for that too, that are doing that. I'm somewhere in between. I'm a bachelor's degree. I'm a, 
I was a power lifter. I was, but you know, jack of all trades, you know. But I, I, I do what I know, and part of that is on YouTube. Everybody sees that S for S, and then follow for follow. We talked about that kind of jokingly. But those people that do develop, where they get fifteen, twenty thousand subscribers, and they can make videos go viral. If you're not going to be one of them, you want to be their buddy, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm kind of in between. I want to create quality, appealing sites that does get us exposure, and then get it to the stuff that's local, so it takes you back to the YouTube. And our biggest connection was getting on the front of Win- Winona State's YouTube site. I think it's a good idea to think local too, because that's something I've really never done. Having written for, you know, and Rob, I don't know if you're the same way, but writing for international magazines or national magazines or even the way we do the podcast, you know, we have, we have, you know, some uh, listeners in Australia or I just got a a message on through Facebook from the guy in Singapore, you know, so shout out to him. But you know, the whole idea here is that local people listen to this stuff too. They watch this stuff too, right? Sure. It it, it can get its own little uh, viral thing. You know, the patience that it takes in the hours. People think they can just jump in and make it happen. My dad's alerted. Well, how can I do this all for free? <laughs> Where do you want me to start? I've re- I'm on my fifth or sixth book on this. I mean, I've been uh, spending sometimes nine hours at home up at four in the morning watching the shows on Bloomberg of Andreessen and all the guys that started either the social networks or the search engines at Google to to get a whole new perspective on what this is about and the connecting. The world changed with Steve Jobs and the iPhone and all that. I didn't appreciate that stuff before. What part am I going to be in? What, you know, how am I going to save those advertising dollars? Uh, and it is such a broad topic that I, I sometimes have a hard time knowing which way to go with it. What, what part to, you know, zero in on? Well, you mentioned, like, writing, you know, um, as a sort of expert on different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that Phil and Rob and I have all done. We've written, you know, magazines and websites and things like that. And there's even this, some of these article depositories or repositories online where you can write an article and then they let you put two links at the bottom. Then you point them to your website, you right, know. Right. So let's just run down a list of things that people can do then, just kind of practical here. So one would be if you do get a chance to write something, even if it's just for peanuts, like, uh, you know, that livestrong.com or even write something for free for some of these article repositories, get links to point to a website. So you've got, you've got these article repositories, you've got your own website, right? Which I know you're working with lately. There's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, which I sort of underestimated because I heard the second biggest uh, volume of searches are through, uh, next to Google is in fact, uh, YouTube. You know. YouTube does get underestimated, of course, and I think that's because people for the longest time didn't see that they could be a part of it and wouldn't know how and, and saw it as other people making videos. But now that we all can make videos with our phones and all that kind of stuff, as soon as they created the site, saw it was easy to optimize, maybe more so than Facebook, uh, and it, you just transfer the video you just made uh, sitting in your bedroom playing guitar and a thousand people watch it in a week. That does something. That that creates an effect. Uh, there is definitely the issue of localizing YouTube. It's probably the most difficult, but it's your national business. The other thing is doing things early on altruistically. There's the word. Uh, basically, I've been approached, talked to affiliate marketers that, hey, you're building some big stuff here. Do you want to be one of our guys? That, uh, 
doing it for free with Rhino, connecting people with no expectations. People see that. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. There's three types of marketers, the type that uh, everybody uh, trusts their opinion, makes suggestions. Uh, there's that information guy. That's the guy he sends them to that's really knowledgeable about this. And then there's the like super social person that, you know, it's just everybody loves them. Uh, finding out which one you are and you're, which one you're not and the ones you're not, get them in your circle. Right. I remember re- reading that six pixels of separation book about credibility is being huge, yeah. you know, and I think that's one of the reasons that we actually introduce ourselves at the beginning of every show. Sure. You know, we've had some people say, well, oh man, I, you know, you, you guys, you know, you got all this background. We do that because if someone comes and listens to the show for the first time, they realize, you know, we got a power, well, two power lifters, you know, Phil's got a more varied strength of background. I'm a teacher, Rob's a journalist, you know, we, so we just kind of spell it out. This is what we do. You know what I mean? And then the people make their own decisions about any kind of street cred, if you will, just by listening to us talk a little, you know. Exactly. You burn those credentials. And I, I think you do want to know who you're listening to. Right. I do. Now, now Phil, I, do you think that posting on Internet forums and stuff like that, is that a missing link with all this stuff? Uh, you know, when it comes to... With- you know, other than just tweeting about it, do you think uh, surfing different uh, bodybuilding or fitness forums is a big deal? I think you can hit some niches now. I think I think the forums are going way down um, because there's not much you can't get there that you can't get it at, at Facebook and the other social media places. Um, you can hit niche markets, yeah, but um, you know, I think even the people on the forums are going, and you're you're able to see what people are doing on forums on, say, Facebook. Because it connects directly up there, I think I think you're you're better off going to that. I mean, if you have, we only have so many hours in the day, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think those larger social media. I mean, I think if it's your job and that's like your sole position at a company, yeah, then then that that's a great a great place for it. But um. Well, I, I've said on my own IT department, it's hard to get everybody up to snuff on what you're trying your business. Exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, in the long run, I think. I think if you're covering those big three that, that that Jim's talking about, I think I think you're covering most of it, and it's going to spread. Um, the people that follow you are going to spread those forums for you. Oh, that's yeah. true. Right, exactly. Because I know that in the early 2000s, you were instrumental in building, you know, sort of the the broad awareness and the credibility in a way uh, for some of the big sites that are online because of your in input on various forums, right? But you say at this point you think that's sort of going by the wayside. It is. It's, you're seeing it go down and down and down. And, I mean, of course you still have that community, but, I mean, all those people that are on those forums are on Facebook. <clears throat> you know, they all meet back there. You know, you know, like Rob, he hangs out at a certain forum. And you'll find people that hang out at three or four forums, but they're all the, – the, the key hub between them all is Facebook. Right. So... <laughs> Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Why would you spend your time, you know, you're running to get huge.com over here and get shredded.org over there, and you could spend all day long and maybe reach you know, a couple of dozen people when yeah. they're on Facebook. Anyway. I think something that's important is letting your customers have fun with it, uh, having them be involved, uh, be it the video, be it writing something, connection. 
then they, they're a part of something. They're a part of you. They're more than just a customer. And that's the unique thing that we can do locally that isn't going to happen out there. They're trying to sell you as much as they can. They're not so interested in, you know, I mean, they want their testimonials, but they're national. They pull them out of the, you know. Oh, make go down. I, I remember, and I, Phil, I'm sure you and Robin been in stuff like you go into like a Bally Scandinavian or something, and the, the guy who approaches you is a salesman, period. Yeah. That's yeah. His, he doesn't have any expertise. No, he's good. not much of a coach. You know, he's a salesman, and he wants a, a big, robot, not a human. He wants a big <laughs> initiation fee. And you know, won't let you out of there until you've done it all, and then you have buyer's dissonance right. a few hours later. But, you know, that's a good point, though, that one way to make it local is sort of what you've just been doing more lately, which is almost a series of, like, progress blogs. Yep. And you can actually give these people fame, you know, with uh, podcasting. Oh, there's another social network. Sure, we have, obviously, we do, but... Right, right. But with podcasting or like YouTube and stuff like that, and then people do get interested because then they can watch the progress over time. So, so but you're putting other people first, but that's good for your business too. And you're, yes, yes, you and like the whole process, you're going to make mistakes with things that okay, this person's really not interested. You got to find out who's drawn to it, who's passionate about what you're doing, and then is passionate about what they're doing and communicating and and the teamwork behind it is essentials. Uh, if you're gonna differentiate yourself, especially in this, take you gotta take chances, you gotta think out of the box. Those that don't first of all bore me, I don't want to be boring. Okay, I don't want to tell you our low low prices in a remodeled place. At the end of the day I will, but first I'm gonna, you know Yeah, offer something. Information yeah, or yeah. something fun. Creative, something. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, well, that's about it. I think we're almost out of time here. So uh, anything else out of you guys? No, I mean, I think I just think, Jim, I was going to comment on the, letting your, your customers be part of it. I think that's huge, especially in the gym or fitness business. Um, and that's part of what I was doing with b- before where I was and then several other gyms I helped. And it's just, you'd be amazed at how much it spreads. If You know, people love seeing themselves on YouTube, on video, doing things, having fun. And then they, they again spread that for you. You know, you put the one video up of John doing this, and, and John's going to send that to all his friends and say, hey, look what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, it's going to help your business. And, and don't get too nervous about the first month or two or three where nobody pays attention and all that. Yeah. Uh, you have to break through that. And we're still in that process because a lot of things I do, I'm just finding out and they're new. And, uh, and, you know, along those lines, too, don't freak out about the numbers. Only a couple hundred views. If this is local and you have a local right. business interest, you can't expect tens of thousands of people, yeah, especially, yeah. you know. So the you whole, the value yourself. is, but like, still local year. celebrity kind of thing, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I guess that's about it for this week. Uh, stay tuned. One of these upcoming episodes, uh, I, I want to do the psych episode, and we're going to actually sit around and, you know, we often sit around and have black coffee and stuff anyway, but we're going to start sharing stuff uh, like our favorite tunes, what we do for up to two hours before we train, that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that kind of stuff. But for today, I guess um, we're signing off. So good talk, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. 
we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.